0: We are so blessed in this church with the music and the music of our choir, and what a beautiful anthem they they share with us just now. Our scripture today will be coming from Daniel chapter 5, the book of Daniel chapter 5, as we continue our series on the book of Daniel and Daniel 1 to 6, being faithful in an unfaithful world. Daniel 5. We're going to be reading the scripture throughout the sermon, so you may want to grab one of the Bibles. There's Bibles in the pews. You can pull it up on your phones or however you need, uh, and I'll also walk us through the scripture. While you're turning, just let me share with you as well that a few weeks ago, we shared with you that the Reverend Meredith Hinton, who is one of our youth ministers, she went before our conference board of ordaining ministry to be ordained as a deacon, And did well, and we celebrated that. It's not a small feat, as we may have shared with you. You go before our Board of Ordained Ministry twice in order to be ordained. The first time is about the time you're finishing up seminary or you've completed seminary. You have to complete about 70 pages worth of papers that that you write and uh, answering specific questions that they are asking. And you also have to preach a sermon that's videoed, and you have to send in the manuscript of that and your plans for it teach a Bible study, video that, send in, you know, your notes from the Bible study, your plans for it, answer all kinds of theological questions, questions about your calling and leadership, etc., and then go for an extensive interview, an interview where you interview for a while, you take a break, come back, and keep going, and they can ask you anything about anything. So we are proud of Meredith, and then this past week, The Reverend Amy Hutchison, our evangelism pastor, went for the first phase, uh, which is called commissioning phase, the the first time you go before the board, and she went through the board, interviewed, submitted her papers, and she too was approved, so she will be commissioned as well in June at our annual conference, and so we celebrate with Amy. When you see her, make sure you share with her congratulations as well, because again, um, it's no small feat, and very stressful time, and she is very much relieved, and we are grateful for her ministry. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for the privilege of studying it together. And now as I stand before these, your people, I pray that this would be your message and not my own through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Belshazzar seemed to have it made. He was the son of King Nebuchadnezzar, and he had inherited this amazing empire that his father had helped to build, the Babylonian Empire. What a massive empire. You might remember how Babylon had come in and conquered the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah as well, and and then destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. Took the people and exiled them all across the land. It was known as the Babylonian captivity, that time where, where the people of God were dispersed around. But it wasn't only Israel. Just look at the map, maybe in the back of your Bible. The Babylonian Empire was massive. And Belshazzar inherited it all. Oh, he had the life of luxury. The best food that you could find. Wine was plentiful. You could get the best that you could imagine. He had numerous wives and concubines. Kind of like secondary wives. People were clamoring to be around him. I mean, I find it interesting how when, when somebody has some prestige, when someone has some power, when... Someone has some notoriety when somebody is famous for some reason. People just tend to want to clamor around them. Whether they're good people or not, people just want to be around people who have all these things. So he had people around him all the time through some lavish parties. And we're about to hear of one of his parties. It was massive. As a matter of fact, he had a party where he invited in a thousand of his lords, those who helped to oversee this empire of his, the thousand lords and their wives and concubines, his wives, concubines, all these people brought in together for a huge party. Daniel chapter chapter 5, verse 1. King Belshazzar made a great festival for a thousand of his lords, And he was drinking wine in the presence of the thousands. Under the influence of the wine, Belshazzar commanded that they bring in vessels of gold and silver that his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem so that the kings and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the vessels of gold and silver that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives and concubines, drank from them. They drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Man, what a party. Can you imagine all the people that were at the parties? And while the party was going on, as has a tendency to sometimes happen, things got a little bit out of control, actually, things got a lot out of control. The king was enjoying his wine to the point that he was now under the influence of wine, which is the Bible's way of saying he was drunk. He had had way too much. So let me just go ahead and share with you now. And, and, you know, some of you may like this, some of you may not, but I'll just go ahead and tell you, he drank wine. There was wine in the Bible. You hear people talk about, you know, what well, wasn't really wine. It was just kind of like a, a, a grape juice kind of thing, you know. And, and Jesus would never drink. Jesus turned water to wine, not welches. <laughs> I tell you that too. When I would grow up hearing people go, well, it wasn't really wine like we have today. And you're going, seriously? Then why are there so many scriptures against drunkenness that's in the Bible? I mean, if it was just welches, would it be bloatedness? I mean, wouldn't the commands be, a, thou shalt not bloat? No, that's that's not the case. I mean, they they were drinking and were drunk. And as typical, when they got drunk, they did stupid things. So what I'm telling you is that that having the drink was not the sin. Drunkenness throughout the scripture is. And when Belshazzar was drunk, he started doing those stupid things. Those things that often happen that you just can't undo. You can't seem to take back so Belshazzar, while he's under the influence has this idea and he calls together and he goes hey go get the gold and silver chalices that were in the temple in jerusalem and bring them so that we can drink out of them now he's not asking to do that because they need more cups they're already drunk they had cups but at this point, they're just no longer thinking clearly. They're no longer thinking about God. There's no reverence for God whatsoever. And all they're doing is thinking about themselves. And, and so they go and bring the chalices from the temple. Now remember, when you read the Old Testament, the temple, well, that was the house of God. It was, the holy city was Jerusalem, but in the temple was where the people of God worshipped God. In the temple was where the people of God would come together and and make their offerings to God. It was was in the temple that the people of God would make the sacrifices. And everything in the temple was consecrated for the worship of God and God alone. Just like here in the sanctuary. When we build a new sanctuary, the, the sanctuary is consecrated for the worship of God. And God alone. the, the table here is—it's an altar table. It's not just a table. It, it, it's symbolic of the presence of God. It's why it says, "This do in remembrance of me." It's where the elements of God's sacrament comes, and it's where the people of God join together in worship. The, the pulpit—it's not just a lectern. It's—it's it's a pulpit where the word of God is proclaimed to the people of God. And so. Here they go bringing in the chalices that had been used for the worship of God. Chalices that had been set aside for God and God's kingdom. Chalices that that were being used for God's glory. And now they're just drinking out of them like they're nothing. And not only that, when they drink out of the chalices, they toast to the gods of gold and silver. To the gods of gold and silver. To the gods of bronze. To the gods of bronze. To the god of iron. To the god of iron. To the god of wood. To the god of wood. To the god of stone. To the god of stone. So what you have happening here is this this total sacrilege. You you have this this abomination to God. that, That they bring in the vessels for the worship of God. And they're using them as if they're nothing. And they're toasting away. To false gods. And God intervenes. Verse 5. Immediately, immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and began writing on the plaster of the wall of the royal palace next to the lampstand. The king was watching the hand as it wrote. And then the king's face turned pale, and his thoughts terrified him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The crowd cried aloud to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the diviners. And the king said to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever can read this writing and tell me its interpretation shall be clothed in purple, have a chain of gold around his neck, and rank third in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king its interpretation. And King Belshazzar became greatly terrified, and his face turned pale, and his lords were perplexed. I mean, Daniel tells us that immediately. I mean, that word is there to show that, that God didn't put up with us for long. Immediately, God intervened, and, and there was a hand that appeared, and, and writing on the wall, thus the handwriting on the wall. In case you didn't know where it came from, this is where it came from. The hand begins to write on the wall and, and the king is horrified by what he sees. I mean there there's a painting you can see there on the on, on the screen, the painting of Rembrandt's Belshazzar's feast, and, and in the painting one of the things that happens is he spins around so quickly to see what's going on, the chalice goes flying and and, and he's so distraught about what is happening here. We're told that, that, that he not, that his thoughts terrified him. His thoughts terrified him that means he sobered up in a hurry with this he turns pale and his limbs failed him and he's trembling and he he cries out for the enchanters and and the chaldeans the magicians the diviners if anybody can tell me what that means if if anybody can read that and interpret it to me well i will bless you i'll take care of you i i will i'll give you purple i will clothe you in purple Purple was a color of royalty. It's a color of dignity. Most people in biblical times, they, they couldn't afford to have their clothes dyed. That's why most of the clothes are earth tone colors. It's, it's just the natural color. But to dye purple, that meant you're a person of stature and wealth. I'll clothe you in purple. I'll give you a gold necklace to wear around your neck. But it, it wasn't just a necklace. It wasn't just like, hey, I'll give you a necklace. It was actually a collar that went around the neck that said, this is a person of rank and stature. This is a person who's been set apart. And the king said, and I'll make you third. I'll make you third in the kingdom. He really wants to know, but, well, they come in and they look at it, the diviners, the magicians, all the Chaldeans, All the people try to come in, enchanters, and tell him what it means, but they couldn't. I mean, these people are proving themselves to be kind of worthless, aren't they? I mean, don't you remember in chapter 2, when we read chapter 2, and Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and he called in the diviners, the enchanters, the magicians, and all the others, and said, you know, can you tell me what the dream was, and can you tell me what it means? And, And none of them could do it, so they had to bring in Daniel. Daniel's the one from God who is able to interpret. And then just last week in chapter 4, in chapter 4, once again, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, and and, and he called in the enchanters, the magicians, the diviners, and the Chaldeans. And and once again, they were unable to interpret what it meant. And and so they they can't explain it. They had to bring in Daniel. Here we go again. There's the handwriting on the wall and, and the new king calls in the diviners, the enchanters, the magicians, the Chaldeans, and and once again they can't tell what it means. Because people who believe in falsehoods can't help you. False people with false beliefs won't help you. Well, look what happens. Verse 10. The queen, when she heard the discussion of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall The queen said, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts terrify you or your face grow pale. There is a man in your kingdom who is endowed with the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, he was found to have enlightenment, understanding, and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods. Your father, King Nebuchadnezzar, made him chief of the magicians, the enchanters, Chaldeans, and the diviners because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and the understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give its interpretation. Most biblical scholars argue that this is the queen mother. It's not his wife. It's not one of his wives. But rather, it's the queen mother. Why? Because she has all this knowledge about his father and his father's kingdom. Not somebody who was brought into the picture, but rather someone who was there. Don't you remember your father when your father went through these times? So the queen mother is trying to explain to him, son, when your father was having issues and he called in all these people, they couldn't help him either, but there's a man by the name of Daniel and he has this amazing gift and and Daniel's still in your kingdom. We'll bring him in. Now the heart of the story. Verse 13. Then Daniel was brought in before the king and the king said to Daniel, so you are Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah whom my father the king brought in from Judah. I've heard of you, that a spirit of the gods is in you, and that enlightenment, understanding, and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and tell me its interpretation, but they were not able to give the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you're able to read the writing and tell me its interpretation, you will be clothed in purple, have a gold chain around your neck, and rank third in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered in the presence of the king, Let your gifts be for yourself, and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the readings of the Most High. I will read the reading of the writing to you, and let you know the interpretation. O King, the Most High God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar kingship, greatness, glory, and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples and nations and languages trembled and feared before him. He killed those he wanted to kill, kept alive those he wanted kept alive, honored those he wanted to honor, and degraded those he wanted to degrade. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he acted proudly, he was deposed from his kingly throne. And his glory was stripped from him. He was driven from human society and his mind was made like that of an animal. His dwelling was with the wild asses. He was fed grass like oxen. And his body was bathed with the dew of heaven until he learned that the Most High God has sovereignty over the kingdom of mortals and sets over it whomever he will. And you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled your heart even though you knew all this. You have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. The vessels of his temple have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have been drinking wine from them. You praise the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose power is your very breath, and to whom belong all your ways, you have not honored. So from his presence. The hand was sent. And this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mine. mene, Tekel. And parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene. God has numbered the days of your kingdom. And brought it to an end. Tekel. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Daniel's offered the same rewards that the diviners and the enchanters and the magicians were offered. But Daniel goes, you know, it's it's not about the rewards. You can give those to somebody else, although he will take them in just a little while. But Daniel reviews his father's story and he goes, "Don't you don't you remember how your father worshiped the most high God and how he was blessed with greatness and glory and majesty? But remember how he became arrogant? Last week we looked at Daniel chapter 4 and and remember how the king went out one day, Nebuchadnezzar went out on his palace rooftop and he looked around and he went, "Wow." This is awesome. I am incredible. I am incredible. Look what I, look what I built with my majesty to my glory, to my honor. And God, remember how he was banished away and lived like the animals? We, we read last week that his hair became long like eagles' feathers and, and his nails actually curled under like their talons. Don't you remember the story? But then his reason returned to him. And he remembered God and worshiped God. And God then restored him. Verse 22 And you, Belshazzar his son, have not humbled your heart even though you knew all this. You know what that means? It means you can't plead ignorant on this one. You can't act like, well, I didn't know. I didn't know. If somebody just told me, but I didn't realize what I was doing. I didn't know. I didn't have a clue. You knew, you knew, you knew all of this. You knew about the God of Israel. You knew how your father became prideful. You knew how he was banished and humbled. You knew that he then proclaimed God and was restored. You knew all of this. And yet you exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. You knew this and yet you still had the vessels of the temple brought in and you drank from them like you were some kind of God. And beyond that, you knew and yet you still took the chalice of God and toasted false gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and wood and and stone you knew and so now god intervened and put the handwriting on the wall but i don't think you really want to know what it means and i when i when i hear the scripture i picture this for some reason the movie a few good men comes to me and i i, I can just see daniel going to to belshazzar you can't handle the truth God has given you a message that God has written with his own hand. And I have to believe that when the Jews heard the story later, they had to go back and go, the finger of God wrote this. And in Exodus chapter 8, you have this battle going on between Moses and Pharaoh, and, and, and all these plagues are occurring and, And then all of a sudden you have where the gnats became a plague. And the magicians, they couldn't hold with the gnats. They just, they couldn't match it. And what did they do? They went to the Pharaoh and said, this is the finger of God. And in Exodus 31, when God writes the commandments on the tablets of stone, we're told they were written with the finger of God. And now God writes again. But what does he write? It means numbered. And so Daniel says, your days are numbered. Your kingdom is coming to an end. Tekel. That word means weighed. You have been weighed on the scales and have been found wanting. Parson. The word means to divide. Your kingdom will be divided between the Medes and the Persians. Some of you may have actually seen the movie A Knight's Tale. It, it, it's an interesting movie where you know, there's this young guy, his name is you know, William Thatcher, and, and he's a peasant boy. And, and he grows up so poor, and, and now that he's a young man, he's just so tired and frustrated with trying to, just to get enough money to, to buy some food and, and to make a living and, to, and just to be able to survive. It. And one day the opportunity comes for him to begin to, to pose as a knight. And, and so he's, he starts entering jousting. And, and since he's posing, you know, that what, who's going to know who he really is? And, and so he, he takes on this name and, and begins jousting. But he has an adversary, Count Adamar. He was one arrogant gentleman. He was his adversary when it came to jousting. He was his adversary as well when it came to the young noble woman who had caught their eye. And regularly, Count Adamar looks at the young William and judges him and says, From Daniel 5, you have been weighed, you have been measured, you have been found wanting. In the end, he will eat those words. But what powerful words! To look at someone and share, this is the message from God. You have been weighed on the scales. And you have been found wanting. We, we look at Belshazzar and, and we can see clearly what he did. I mean, his arrogance got in the way. He His drunkenness got in the way. His, his failure to, to acknowledge God and to worship the true God and recognize who is the one true and amazing God. Got in the way and... And so we sinned again and again and again. And now God says, You've been weighed. You've been weighed on the scales. You're found wanting. But the question then for us, I think, is as we look at Belshazzar, we can learn from him what is it on the scales that tips the scales for us? I mean, when God looks at us and goes, Okay, you've been weighed, how do we come up? You've been weighed. You've been measured. Found wanting. Many of you know over the last several weeks, the the country has been talking a lot about Billy Graham and how great a preacher Billy Graham is and uh, was, and what a great, amazing person of faith and a leader he was for for the church and on behalf of Jesus Christ. Well. One of the satellite stations has Billy Graham's sermons playing regularly over and over again. So I had been kind of listening to some of those as I've been driving different places. And, and the other day I, I had Billy Graham on and, and he referenced the scripture. And he asked, he said, do you remember the old scales? Now some of you may remember the old scales. Some of you may not remember the old scales. Some of you remember them but can play like you don't you remember the old scales that kind of balanced? And, and so you would put weight on the scale and then you would pour the grain or whatever to balance them out. And, and, and so he said, you know, the problem here is, is that our sin was so heavy that it weighted down the scale. And, and there was nothing we could do. We just didn't seem to have any ability to balance things back. And, and so we've been weighed and found wanting. And there was nothing we could do to tip it. And then Billy Graham says, however... By God's grace, through Jesus Christ, the finger of God that wrote also is willing to place his hand on the scales and tip the scales back in our favor. Nothing we could do to make it up. But God, through God's grace in Jesus Christ, if we will accept Him, if we will believe in Him, if we will follow Him, if we will bow to Him, and and if we'll put away our false gods, and and if we'll put away all the things that stand between us and God, God is willing, by His grace, to put His finger on the scales and balance it for us. So what is... The balance for us. What is the sin that holds us up? Well, if you read the rest of the story, there's only a couple of verses left. Belshazzar gives Daniel the purple clothing, the necklace around his neck, makes him third in the kingdom. But that night, Belshazzar dies. And his kingdom is divided between the Medes and the Persians. Well, the story doesn't have to end that way for us. We're walking with Jesus once again to the cross in this season of Lent. Because God, God was willing to take his finger and tip the scale. The question is now will we receive this amazing gift of God's grace? Because nothing can tip the scale but the blood of Jesus, a gift for us to receive, if we will. Will you pray with me? God, we can learn from the sins of others. When we see other sins like Belshazzar's, they're obvious. We can point them out. We see where he was weighed and measured and found wanting. But God, we have been weighed on the scales as well and found wanting. But God, we pray that you would look into our lives and help us to name our sin. Help us to name that which stands between you and ourselves. And God, we pray that you would then forgive us and by your grace, place your finger on the scales and tip them into our favor. We can't do it nothing we can do but by your grace you can and god we praise you for loving us enough to tip the scales to the grace of jesus christ and we receive your grace into our hearts in his precious name amen